Hello and welcome to Crossing Borders with Nathan Lustig, where I normally have conversations with entrepreneurs doing business across borders and the people who support them with a focus on Latin America. This is the 25th episode, so I wanted to do an experiment where I highlighted some of my favorite pieces of advice from these amazing Latin American entrepreneurs. Let me know if you like this format for special occasions, either on Twitter at Nathan Lustig, via my blog, NathanLustig.com, or on LinkedIn by searching Nathan Lustig. I've learned a huge amount talking to these 24 Latin American founders and investors, and I really enjoyed going back and re-listening to their best stuff, and I hope you do too. First up is Patricia Williams from Pago Rural and DTA LATAM. We have two ears and one mouth. We should always listen more than we speak. Many things I've done in the past eight years, I've learned them from my clients. And I think every successful company, from Facebook to Amazon, when, when you go deep, they're always listening to our clients. They're always paying attention to what the customers say. And I think that's, that's really important. I think many times we get in love with a model, we get in love with an idea, and we forget about who's the important one in the chain and it's the client. I love this advice because it's something that I think a lot of people get wrong. There was a study that listened to sales calls from cold calling, and the best salespeople surprisingly listened more than 70% of the time instead of talking. And this is something I see people get wrong. And I really think you can't learn when you're talking. You have to do it when you're listening and by asking good questions so that people can tell you what they know. And when you're just getting started, you can't just build what you want. You have to listen to your clients. It's even more true in Latin America, especially in business to business, where you have to listen and try to decipher why someone is motivated or not motivated to buy your product. Next up is Diego Saez-Gil from BlueSmart. Look for advice as early as possible. Look for, for feedback, not only advice, but for feedback. Look for criticism early on. I think this is something Elon Musk, I think I heard him saying, you know, look for the smartest people you know and ask them what's wrong with your idea and take that feedback. Of course, you know, don't take everything, but take the things that, that can help make the idea better. That, I think, can save a lot of time. Diego's advice is similar to Patricio's. Seek out and listen to feedback from others. Diego's caveat is that you can't just follow it blindly. Our best magma entrepreneurs listen to everything we say, but think about the advice we've given, then make their own decisions based on the info they've had and the research they do after. The not as great ones either don't listen at all because they think they know everything, or listen to everything and don't make their own decisions. Next up is Adrian Fisher from Property Simple. Takes a long time. There's a story with my, my dad. I'd call them up when I started selling websites after doing the art thing, and I was like, hey, do you know anyone who might want a website? And he's like, you said you were going down there with a race car driver, and then you said you're selling art. Now you said you're selling websites. He's like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to recommend any of my friends. And I was like, so hurt. I was like, I hung up with the phone. I was like, oh, my own dad won't even help me sell. You know, I'm such a loser. And then I thought about it. And I was like, you know, he's got a point. If you change what you do every six months, like no one's going to believe you. Agent's advice is great because it's not something that many people talk about in our culture of overnight success. I think the founder of Pokemon Go said that he was a 20-year overnight success because he'd been working on different pieces of the technology. Some had worked, some had failed over such a long time. If you want to be great at something, spend the time to do it. Investing in yourself to develop a business or a new skill, it really does take a long time. We're talking years, years and years, not months. 
I've been doing my blog for about 10 years now and people ask, well, how do you get ranked as well as you do for things about Latin America? Well, I've been doing it for seven years and I had a blog three years before it. Uh, just put in a lot of time and you know, you don't really see good results for the first year or two, but then it starts to build and build and build if you keep at it. The next person up is Federico Vega, the founder of Cargo X. Don't waste time on networking events. I don't do networking events. I very rare join any networking events about entrepreneurs. What I do is I spend my time in my industry, which means tracking. I don't want to meet the CEO of a food delivery company. It just doesn't add value to your business. You have very limited amount of time and you need to focus on your in industry and you need to develop a network in your industry and you don't do that at networking e events. When you're just getting started, networking events can be okay, but once you've started your business, your focus should move toward keeping in contact with people in your network. In my case, both of the companies that ended up buying my startups were people I knew from the industry and talked with on a quarterly basis. In my second company, the person that ended up leading the acquisition was somebody I did meet in an industry event. Next up is Jonathan Nelson, founder of Hackers and Founders, the world's largest entrepreneur organization. Leading is oftentimes an act of service, helping people accomplish what it is that they want to do and getting them and giving them the tools that they actually need to do that. In my mind, that's what I think leadership really is. That was what I think a CEO's job is to do is to point the direction of the company and get people excited about that direction and then to solve all of the problems that your team has in getting there and helping them grow, helping them do their best, giving them their tools that they need, solving obstacles for them. Some in tech culture and startup ecosystem have gotten away from Jonathan's description of a CEO's job and how to be a good leader. And I think it's a really good reminder for people who are doing leadership in any type of organization. And I have two questions that I like to think about and ask myself and try to push our, our Magma portfolio companies to, to think about. And How can I set the goal and then help other people accomplish what they want to do? And how can I give them the tools and clear the way for them to do it? Um, I, li I like it for two reasons. One is it sets the long-term vision or what's the next goal that we need to get to as a company or as an organization? Because when people understand what they need to do, they're much more likely to actually do it. Seems very obvious, but it's a problem in many tech startups, especially early stage ones that I've seen. And then the second is that if you're a leader and you're the CEO in an organization, you can't be the bottleneck. So I try to optimize my time so that I'm not the bottleneck because if I'm the bottleneck, I'm stopping one, two, 10, 50, 100 people from doing their work. And think about all that wasted time if you're the bottleneck as the CEO. So all of my work that I try to do that has other people that are waiting on me, I try to not be the bottleneck. And the best CEOs that I've seen try to not be the bottleneck and do a great job of setting the vision and have a great have great leadership skills. A great example of this is Marco de Mello, the Brazilian founder of PeaceSafe, a security company whose app has been downloaded more than 100 million times and raised more than 90 million in venture capital. He's next up. You can't instill ownership and accountability and clarity and transparency on Mondays and Wednesdays and then think that that's enough. No, no, no. You got to do this seven days a week. 
at all times, right? You have to spend time with your team. I've interviewed probably 99% of everyone in PSA. You know, I won't say 100% because I don't like to, to make those big claims. But, but if not 100%, 99% of every person that ever joined PSA interviewed with me. And I think that's important because I need them to meet me and understand what are the values of this company. For me, the founder and CEO, what are our values? Who we are? What do we stand for? Why do we think what we do matters? Why do we think it's important? Why do we think we do is, is a mission, right? And we're on a mission and why we care. I love Marco's take on culture and I've shared it many times already with entrepreneurs that I've met since we did the podcast. If you want to get good at something or make it part of your life, you just can't do it every once in a while. You really have to make it part of your day-to-day and the day-to-day of the people on your team. And I really believe that culture starts at the top. People look to what the leaders and their boss and the founders are doing. They look at the other founders in your tech fund and you can't fake culture. People understand it. And it really is, if you're taking a do as I say, not as I do attitude toward culture, it's not going to work and you're going to have problems. You really need to be consistent about it and There's a saying that's a a reputation is built in a lifetime but can be destroyed in a day. I think culture is the same. Next, Marco continues to talk about one of the most important parts of startup culture that he's worked tirely to instill in PeaceSafe. You need to be able to give and take open, respectful feedback anytime. And if somebody comes to you and gives you, uh, you know, constructive criticism about how you could have done something better, the first reaction you should do is really be thankful for that person trying to make you a better person. Right? Instead of having the reaction of, oh, you're trying to bring me down. If that's your natural reaction, you're not going to last in this company, for example, because people need to understand that if someone is trying to make you better and then they're doing that by giving you constructive criticism, sit down and listen. Don't get defensive. Right? Listen up. Hear them out and analyze that and think that through. Maybe they're mistaken. Maybe they misunderstood something. But there's always a nugget, a core of valuable feedback that you can take and grow from. I really love this tip because it's been something that I've tried to instill in my companies when I was a founder and then now that I try to instill in companies in which we've invested. And it's something that I often see founders, especially younger Latin American first-time founders that we uh, either review their business or invest in who react poorly to open, respectful feedback because they sort of see it as an attack on them or their baby, the startup idea that they had. And what I've seen is the best founders and startup employees view feedback like Marco does. It's a great thing that's actually designed to help you. And I think a really important piece of it too is if you're going to be giving feedback, give it respectfully. Nobody likes to have their idea just sort of shit on um, without any sort of uh, constructive criticism. And if you're going to give feedback, at least for me, it's give me the feedback and then an idea of how you can make it better. Just saying something is bad and not working, yeah, that, that can be helpful. But if you can actually think through how you might solve it and recommend that to me or to the CEO of your company or whoever you're reporting to, I think that's a really important piece. And it goes well into the next tip, which comes from Cody Sanchez, who talks about how you can get what you want in either a startup or in an employment situation. I've always been a believer in like two things, which is asking for what you want and assuming you just might get it. And so I've always done that in all of my businesses. And too often I see people 
they like wait for me to tell them what I want from them. Very reactive focused. And I never was like that. I always built my own scorecards and my own goals and sent them to management early and said, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm tracking on. Here's what I'm not doing well. Here's where I am. And so I just think proactivity was the name of the game. Cody's rule of asking for what she wants and assuming she's going to get it is key to startup and employment success. And it's especially true for Latin American operators, as many people don't ask for what they want in Latin America because it's seen as potentially being rude in the culture. So if you're operating in Latin America or have a LATAM tech team, try to keep the lines of communication open and praise your team or the people that you work with when someone brings up an issue and is actually open with you and instill this openness in the culture. Like Marco talked about previously, getting that culture of feedback and openness is really, really what you want in your team. Next up is Alejandro Freund, the founder of Yasta, Ecuador's most important e-commerce company. You don't have to be scared of competition. Competition is good because it makes you makes you become better, makes you become more conscious of what not to do. It helps you open up a market. It gives you a better chance of, it validates the market, right? When we were talking to investors back then, when we were talking to investors in, or people in 2013, 14, they're like, nobody's doing e-commerce. And then 2015 came and they're like, wait, what are you going to do? Lino is coming. Like, yeah, that's a validation that e-commerce makes sense. I really like Alejandro's advice and see it in two ways. I actually think you should be scared of a huge company that's already doing business in your market. For example, I wouldn't want to start a ride-sharing company in Latin America because Uber has billions of dollars, Cabify has hundreds of millions, and there's Easy Taxi from Germany and many others that are already there. It's going to be really, really, really hard to compete, especially if you're just getting off the ground, if you don't have lots and lots and lots of money, which you likely won't have when you're first starting. But you shouldn't be scared of the competition if the competitor isn't directly in your market or it's a legacy company that potentially could get in the market. Because if someone else is starting to do it in a different market, it actually validates it for you. I made this mistake with my first business, Exchange Hut, a tickets and textbook marketplace for at universities. My partners and I heard that Facebook was going to launch their platform, which would allow people to build an app on Facebook. This was the F8 conference back in, I believe, 2008. And we heard that Facebook would launch a marketplace, which was a classified system, and would compete with our tickets and textbooks marketplaces. And we got scared. And we changed our aggressive expansion plan to 20 universities and instead focused on just three. And we did well at the three, but I think we would have done well at the 20. And when Facebook finally did launch Marketplace, it was actually a dud on college campuses. And we actually grew at the campuses that we already were at and at the three that we expanded to. And it was a, a case where we were scared of the big guy coming in when we actually had a big head start and we're in a niche that made sense. So I really like Alejandro's advice. Next up is Brian Reckworth, who is the co-founder of Viva Real, which is a property portal in Brazil. It is the Zillow of Brazil, and he talks about what he learned after raising more than $78 million in venture capital and growing from just the founders in a small office in Brazil to more than 600 people in multiple offices all across the country. There's like phases, I feel like, where we maybe we were more kind of tightly micromanaging teams in the beginning because we had like focus was so important because we had limited number of resources. Then when you raise money, you have this like influx of capital that basically allows you to do more things or it gives you the illusion that you can, if you have twice as much money, you can do twice as much stuff. And that's a dangerous kind of proposition because you really can't double your capacity overnight. It's something that just like you kind of inch along rather than snap your finger. 
So Brian really knows what he's talking about here because he grew a company so fast from zero to 600 people and has done it with a lot of venture capital. But I think it also applies to early stage startups as well. I've seen founders take our initial investment of $25,000 to $75,000 or even a follow-on of you know another $200,000 more in early stage investments and they want to do everything at once. You know, their plan said they wanted to hire four or five new people and instead of doing it in phases, they'll hire people all at once. And I actually haven't seen that work in our portfolio companies. It may other places and that obviously can change once you're bigger. You definitely need to hire multiple people at a time. But from an early stage startup, um, I've seen the founders that are successful building the team and keeping the culture and making it happen as hiring people a little bit slower so that they can personally onboard the people. And then this is this is really important as a small team. So maybe you're only two co-founders and you not, now want to add five people over the next bit of time. If you add five all at once, it's nearly impossible to transmit the culture that you and your co-founder had to all five of the people because you're not going to get the one-on-one -on -one time that you really need. So what I usually like to tell our founders is bring one or two on at once. Maybe if you really, really want to be aggressive, bring people on once every two weeks at the beginning. I prefer even like once every three or four weeks, um, except for in sales when you probably want to bring two people at once because it's really good to have competition between salespeople. Um, it makes everyone sort of stay on their toes and make sure that things are, you know, everyone's doing their work and puts a nice little bit of competition out there. And trying to expand too fast right after getting money in the door, whether it's your first $25,000 from a pre-seed investor like us or an accelerator, all the way up to a series C or D or huge amount of money like Brian raised, I think it's one of the most common mistakes that early founders make because exactly like Brian said, you can't just double your team and double your output. It doesn't work that way. The next person up is Guimar Vakasidic, an Argentine entrepreneur and now investor who talks about how to choose opportunities and if you have multiple opportunities, how to pick the right one. Maximize the pace of which you learn and look for environments where you can learn the fastest. The only factor I would weigh in when making a professional decision in the early days, if you can afford it, is thinking about how fast you can grow and how fast you can learn. I think in life, the learnings that you have and the knowledge that you have and the connections that you have have compounding effects. If you learn way faster during your first five years or seven years, then that pace of learning will pay off in a big way a couple of decades down the road. I wanted to end on Guimar's clip and advice because I think it's the most universal and it's really one that I truly believe in. He's done an amazing job of building different businesses and getting really far in a short amount of time. And I think it really is because he's been able to figure out ways to learn amazingly fast. And as Derek Sivers put it, uh, who's one of my favorite people to follow online and read what they do and listen to his podcasts, is, he says the standard pace is for chumps. And I, I just really couldn't agree more. I think he's just spot on with that. And I really, really like Guimar's advice because when you're evaluating opportunities and you use his lens to decide which one that you want to take, it's very easy rule of thumb here. If you can learn faster in one, try to take it. And when you're starting a startup, or already started to start up, thinking about ways that you can accelerate your learning 
really, really help. So if you have two options of what you can do next in your startup, one way to think about it is what decision can I make that will give me the most feedback the fastest and lead me to be able to make another decision and give me more information so that you have that cycle of really good decision making and moving fast. Because at the end of the day, speed is really your biggest weapon as a startup. So I really hope you enjoyed this format. Uh, it's been experimental. I really liked it because I got to listen back to some of the best advice from uh, the people that I've been talking to over the last few months here. If you liked it or if you hated it, please let me know. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nathan Lustig. Find me on LinkedIn, Nathan Lustig. Or um, go on the blog and, at NathanLustig.com and make a comment and tell me if you liked it. If you do, I'll try to make a few more episodes like this every once in a while. And if you hated it, let me know and probably won't do it again. Thanks again for listening. And as always, if you liked the podcast in general, please share with a friend and give me a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. It's really helpful and helps other people find these stories. Thanks again. Have a good rest of your day.